Welcome to the Way of the Weaver podcast, where we explore magic, justice, and community. Thanks for showing up to our queer-centric, radically enchanted conversations. Our world needs your magic. I'm Jamie Wagner. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm coming to you from Muskogee land in so-called Alabama. I'm Murphy Robinson. My pronouns are they or he, and I'm coming to you from Indakana, the land of the Abenaki people, also known as Vermont. Welcome to episode four. Today we're talking about what is a magical code of honor and why you need one. (laughs) So our magical code of honor is kind of the personalized ethical code that we recommend people develop uh, for their magical practice. And to start off, Jamie, I'm wondering if you could tell us as some background, what was your first exposure to the concept of magical ethics? Well, I think for me, my first exposure to a code of ethics or a code of honor, you know, it's probably because I I grew up in the Christian church and there's lots of rules (laughs) in, in that, um, in that area. Um, There's certainly rules that govern ethics. There's like the 10 commandments, um, the golden rule do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. Um, I think that was probably my very first exposure. So that happened at a really young age. Um, you know, and from there as I was growing up, and certainly when I did my philosophy degree in college, I had a whole course, a whole semester's worth of ethics, <laughs> where we studied that because it kind of falls under the umbrella of philosophy. Um, from a magical perspective, I think, you know, I encountered a code of ethics when I um, became part of the Sisterhood of Avalon in 2005. Um, there was certainly a code of ethics for the Sisterhood, as well as um, I think at that point in time, it was called Keys to Community, um, which is like a set of group agreements of how we interact together as a community and approach our magic and our study and practice. So I think those were um you know, some of my first exposures. And those were all things that were basically already delineated that, um, you know, that that I could adopt as part of a group, right? And what about you, Murphy? What was your first exposure to magical ethics? I mean, I think in a magical context, um, it was the the first book I ever read on magic was called The 21st Century Wicca by Jennifer Hunter, uh, which I feel like is an underappreciated book. Everyone recommends like the Spiral Dance by Starhawk and things like that. But I, I feel like Jennifer's book is actually quite a good introduction. Um, and that was kind of my doorway into magic. And she introduced both the Wiccan Read and the Rule of Three. So the Wiccan Read is, you know, and ye harm none, do what ye will. So it's basically like the do no harm rule. Um, and then the rule of three is this concept that like whatever energy you send out in the universe will come back to you three times over. So if you send out good energy, it'll come back to you three times over. If you send out bad energy, it'll come back to you three times over. It's like magnified karma sort of. Um, and I also grew up in a new age household where the concept of karma um, was fairly prevalent. So this idea that like you get back what you put out was kind of a ethical watchdog for us a little bit. Um, but yeah, those, those were my first exposures. And I think I have developed a lot more nuance since then. <laughs> and you're not Wiccan, um, are you? You like you don't consider yourself to be Wiccan. I don't identify um, as you, Wiccan anymore, but, but in the 90s, yeah. that was the door in for me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I've actually read that book now. I didn't, I was not aware of it back when I was beginning to 
um, study and investigate uh, magic and witchcraft, but um, I became aware of it once I started working with you. <laughs> and now I actually have like an old out of print copy that I was able to locate on my bookshelf. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good basic overview of kind of Celtic centric magical practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in Way of the Weaver, one of the first things that we uh, introduce uh, to people that join the Spider Threads cohort, which is our longer study program that happens over nine months, is the idea of having a personal code of honor when it comes to magic. And I know you and I have both written <laughs> personal codes of honor um, to, you know, for ourselves and also kind of as examples that we oftentimes share um, with students that are in the program. And, you know, a personal code of honor is, is highly individual. And we'll talk a little bit about why that is and why it's important. Um, you know, my code of honor, I, it has uh, 10 principles in it or 10 statements. And it all starts with a word, a word like integrity or mindfulness or inspiration or flexibility, um, generosity, non-attachment. And then, so I kind of take that overall concept and then I clarify and define what that means to me with regard to magical ethics. Um, and I have a couple examples. For example, um, integrity. For me, that means to model truth and transparency, to um, be integrous with my words and with my actions, to keep my promises, to lean into the power of vulnerability that sometimes comes with integrity. Um, for mindfulness, I define that as listening to my intuition, considering both intention and impact and utilizing discernment in situations and seeking consent when my actions will impact others. And another one is generosity. So for generosity, um, part of my code of honor, my code of ethics is to share generous, generously and to love generously and to weave the magic of abundance into everything I do and everyone I encounter. Um, but part of that is also healthy boundaries. So I include something about healthy boundaries, supporting and empowering generosity. And by respecting and reinforcing boundaries, mine and others, as a daily practice, that that supports my code of honor and my magical ethics. And uh, what about you, Murphy? Because I know you've got um, sort of, you, you've had a bit of a different approach with yours. Yeah, my personal code of honor currently has 13 principles. And I've tried to frame them all in terms of what I do instead of what I don't do. You know, a lot of the 10 commandments is like thou shalt not kill and things like you know, things yeah. you don't do. Yeah. But I wanted to like focus on what I am aiming for because that's just a more inspiring guide to to navigate by, I feel like. So yeah, for example, like the, <laughs> the things yeah, to like, bring in. <laughs> like a good spell crafting intentions, you mm -hmm. use the same principle. Um so like one of my principles is liberation, harmony, healthy boundaries, and joy are my guiding principles. Um, you can tell that both of us are really into boundaries. <laughs> They're, they make for good magic. Um, um, and I have a few different things in my uh, code of honor about consent. I have, I work for others' needs and desires only with consent, but I do not need consent to enforce healthy boundaries. So, you know, if my magic is like, working for others needs I want to get consent for that but if I need to like protect myself from others like I don't like that may have some impact on them in a which I'm not gonna like you know formulate in some specific and vindictive way in my in my workings but um but I'm just gonna like set a boundary that they may bounce off of at some point and I don't feel like that needs consent so that's that's kind of like how I'm articulating that um and I also use the concept of informed or um sorry implied consent 
mm-hmm. which is What's that? comes from, comes from my work as a street medic. It's it comes from the medical world. You know, the, we use this in hospitals and EMTs and stuff. Use this. Um, so it's a framework where if someone cannot consent to positive magic that I want to offer, like they are in a coma and I can't get an answer back from them and things like that, um, then I may act for them as I think that they would wish. Um, you know, another example of someone who couldn't consent might be like an infant who's ill or something like, or like who can't, there's someone who can't speak my language or something like that. Like, you know, I'm going to do everything I can with a like cogent human to get their consent, but it's just not always possible. So I want to like honor that as well. And I think this is an example of the kind of nuance I've brought into, um, Mm -hmm. some of my ethics of like recognizing that like, and ye harm none is not like actually something we can do. Like it's more about harm reduction or like careful navigation of impact and things like that. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So those are a few of mine. So what is this code of honor, this this thing that we're speaking about? Um, you know, I think at the very basic level, it's an individual ethical code that informs your conduct and you can, it's something you can fall back on when you encounter sticky situations. Like that's honestly when it, when it becomes um, really, really helpful to have around. And, you know, I think we've found in working with this concept in way of the weaver that the code of honor, it needs to be flexible enough that it can be continually evolving. Um, I really love the, um, I don't know if you want to call it a phrase or a sentiment, uh, but it's, you know, when you know better, you can do better. This this came from the poet Maya Angelou. So, you know, if you learn something and you now know better, you can change your code of honor to do better. It's a personal code. It's not a set of commandments that you're adopting or that you're holding others to. Um, when you develop your own code of honor, it forces you to think through your ethics, through your values, through your beliefs. And it can be a way more empowering and liberatory practice to write your own code. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it prevents it from being a tool for controlling others in a power over situation. It supports self-agency as power from within instead of obedience. So, you know, those are some of the basics of what this concept is and why it's so important for it to be developed by each individual for themselves. Um, And Murphy, what do you think, there are some basic questions that you can ask to start developing your own code of honor. What are some of the questions that should address? I mean, it's a lot about thinking through impact. Um, So like one question you can start off with is like, how do we prevent most negative impact of our magic? Um, Like I said earlier, I don't really believe that we can never have any impact on others. I mean, when I like walk across the lawn, I probably step on an ant and kill it. Like there's just like, Mm -hmm. there's impact in existing in the world as a physical body um, and, and also as a spiritual body, I think. Um, and we're always navigating that. So how can we prevent or minimize, do harm reduction, um, get the, have the best, best result for the least impact basically. Um, and, uh, and like, you can also think about questions like under what circumstances would you bind or hex this? These are like controversial forms of magic where people, some people think that it's messing with other people's free will to do a binding spell or to do some kind of hexing or even cursing, uh, which was a very common form of magic uh, in the ancient times. Like we have, have all these cursed tablets that come down to us from ancient Greece and stuff like that. It was like what a lot of magic was used for. Um, yeah. 
Well, and we have conjure ethics too, which I, you might have been going into that, right? No, you go ahead and talk about conjure ethics. I think you have more. Yeah, of I mean conjure ethics. Yeah, because I'm from the the southern United States. There is a lot of, um, and the, there are differences between these traditions. I'm not lumping them all into one thing. There is, you know, there's conjure, there's root work, there's hoodoo, there's voodoo, there's Santeria, <laughs> there's Appalachian granny magic. Um, you know, sometimes conjure or root work is is used as an umbrella term and references a lot of these things, but there are. Different differences, especially regionally and between different groups of people. And uh, conjure ethics, specifically as a term, refers to the fact that a lot of these people were either poor, Black, Indigenous, and did not have access to ways of protecting themselves or seeking retribution or reparation for injustices. And so they would use um, essentially um, hexing and binding and cursing as a way to protect themselves and also to work for justice. And that still occurs today. That is still a, a situation that is very much uh, a reality for many people. Um, you know, and those are things that from an outsider's perspective looking in, they may not understand why those folks are making those choices. It reminds me of some of the debates about nonviolence and activism that activists have these days. Um, where, you know, some people are very, very dedicated to like the concept of nonviolence um in and for itself. And other people have opinions about how like nonviolence is like limiting ourselves unnecessarily so that we won't be able to win a fight and that we need to have like all tools on the table and, uh, you know, have a, a diversity of tactics and things like that. And there's yeah, very passionate exactly. arguments on all sides. Um, mm -hmm. So I think part of the, the code of honor is to figure out what is your personal relationship to that? Like, you know, you and I, Jamie, aren't telling anyone that they should hex people or, or that they shouldn't hex <laughs> people. Know. We're telling people to think about it for themselves um, yeah. because that's where I think a lot of the, the personal growth of magic comes from is like navigating these things, you know, creating a, a code for yourself that, that you can live by both magically and non-magically. Like a lot of my magical code of honor can apply to all the other parts of my life as well. Yeah, um, mine too. It's not that mm -hmm. different, especially when we have guiding principles for our magic. Like what are those guiding principles? And that principle of using positive phrasing whenever possible um, is a big help in like discovering what those are, I think. Um, so Jamie, how often do you think people should update their code of honor? Because you talked about it being a, a living document, kind of a growing thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think we recommend, I mean, Murphy, you and I, because we teach so often, we end up kind of um, just automatically reviewing ours once a year or so. Because <laughs> um, we're always like, oh, it's time to teach Code of Honor. We should probably look at ours and and, and see if it's still relevant. Um, you know, so once a year is, is a great time. I mean, you could time it with something uh, that's important to you. You could time it with your birthday, for example. You could time it with um, you know, if there's an anniversary where you dedicated yourself to a certain spiritual path or something like that, or if it's the first time you're creating your own code of ethics, you know, it might be pretty cool to like take a whole like moon cycle to do this or take like a whole like three month moon cycle or a season or whatever makes sense to you. And then you have kind of an anniversary to fall back on. Like each year you can kind of go back at the same time and review, um, you put together and you know if there's any updates that need to be made because you know something different or you have more information about something and then you know <laughs> there's also when you mess up <laughs> right yeah. I mean that's why that's why you have the code of honor and I mess up I, I mean I, you know most people mess up we're gonna mess up at some point in our lives and you know when you mess up 
it's just, you know, do your best to repair the harm and then consider if you've learned something that you can add to your code of honor to help you prevent that harm in the future or to, you know, have less impact from future harms. Um, and, you know, that's just a way of uh, mindfully recognizing and incorporating your growth as a person and growth in your magical practice. Um, what about you, Murphy? Is there any other times you would recommend uh, updating your code of honor? Um, I mean, I think annually or episodically are both good things to do. Um, <laughs> episodically. <laughs> like when you have an episode, you can go and review your, your code of honor. Now I want to go back through my life and divide it into episodes. Yes. <laughs> um, Episode 10, the big apology. And yes, <laughs> but I think, I think one of the like really powerful things of reviewing our code of honor on some kind of regular basis is that it reminds us how powerful we are. Like if we take mm -hmm. this practice seriously, um, we're really honoring the fact that our magic is powerful. We're always learning new ways to be effective and um, skillful, discerning in our magic. And I think we can kind of get a little complacent sometimes and we can think like, oh yeah, you know, I just do this all the time. This is just the way I do it. And taking that moment to stop and review your code of honor or to write a code of honor, if you haven't written one before, it's nice to have it in writing. Like a lot of people like think about a code of honor for 10 minutes, but they don't write it down. And that's a very different exercise. Um, so like get your journal, open a Google doc, whatever works for you, write it in the notes app on your phone. Um, and, uh, yeah, write something down and then revisit it and remind yourself that you are powerful because that will not only help prevent you from getting into sticky situations if you follow your code well, it will also remind you how powerful you are and that you can be using magic. I think a lot of people forget to use their tools, especially when they're in situations when they're stressed or really emotional. Um, they get wrapped up in the in the spiral of, of their emotions and they forget actually how many powerful tools they have. I know I need a reminder. I've told multiple of my friends, like if I'm freaking out and I like seem like I'm just spiraling, remind me to use my tools. And if someone just even <laughs> says that phrase, I'll be like, oh yeah, I could oh, yeah. cast a spell. <laughs> I could do a tarot reading. I could do some trance work, you know, and things like that. Um, so yeah, I like, I like that about this, that it just sort of affirms the power. Cause if magic wasn't powerful, we wouldn't need a code of ethics because there would be no impact, but there is an impact. So we do need it. I tend to think about, um, the code of honor. I mean, uh, you know, as, as a storyteller and, you know, a writer, I, I tend to think that things like, I look at from things from a very animus perspective, right? Like, I feel like stories have a life of their own, <laughs> right? And they evolve and they change and they interact with us and the world and change accordingly and react accordingly. And I believe that when you create a code of honor for yourself, it is the same thing. You're animating a, a, a code of ethics. <laughs> uh, it's almost like a spell or like a story uh, about you and giving it life. And, and especially if you're revisiting it or if you make a ritual out of, you know, once you develop it, or a ritual of reviewing it, you're certainly feeding some energy into that animistic spirit. So I, I think it's, um, you know, it's important to, I think it, for me, it's related to what you were saying about just how powerful these things can be. 
Yeah. And I think, I think it also helps with discernment of like, what are my ethics versus other people's ethics or other beings ethics? Like, I think it was last episode, we were talking about building relationship with the gods. And sometimes the gods will ask you to do something that doesn't match your ethics. And if you have this, like, if you're, you know, if you get a request from an unseen one to do something and it's just like feeling a little funny to you, it's not sitting right. You can go back to your code of ethics and you can review, like, does this meet all of my code of ethics? And if it doesn't, is there a principle I need in my code of ethics that covers this situation, that that's something that's missing? Um, and then that can also be a tool for going back and negotiating with the unseen ones and be like, hey, I don't do this type of magic. So how can I assist you in a different way than what you've requested and things like that? It's sort of a tool for a negotiation. And I feel like this is a really, um, it's an important part of being, it's it's that discernment piece. It's a really important part of being an adept magical practitioner. Um, you know, uh, leveling up in your craft isn't about learning more, <laughs> learning more and more complicated spells or more and more seals of Solomon or, you know, ways to actually fly. It's having um, ethical discernment is a very adept skill to me. Definitely. And, and one that, you know, you can approach uh, from any point in your practice, you can approach, approach it when you're a beginner. But if you haven't done that yet, and you're 20 years in 30 years in, uh, now's the time. <laughs> because, um, yeah, discernment is a really important skill. All right. Do you think that about covers it, Jamie? <laughs> I think so. I think so. So, Code of honor. Think about it. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. Write it down. Sketch it down. Make a bullet point list. Whatever you have to do. Record your voice on your phone. Just get it out there somehow. Yeah. So if you want to check out more about that and about Code of Honor, like I said, we often teach that um, with a little more depth in our Spider Threads cohort. So just remember to keep up with our website if you're interested in that topic, and you'll know the last the next time a cohort launches. But for now, I want to tell you about Weaver Camp because that's the next thing coming up. And that's July 21st through the 24th in Vermont. And registration has opened and spots are already starting to fill up, which is really super exciting. And just to remind you, this is where we camp out in the forest. We have lots of fun workshops. We have time to hang out and enjoy the land and the weather and each other. And we'll have two group rituals. The theme for this year is the Lady of the Lake and Arthurian Mythos, and we only have those 30 spots available. So again, if that's something that you're interested in and you're thinking about, today is the day <laughs> to go to the website and sign up. The registration portal is on wayoftheweaver.com. And Murphy, what do you have coming up next? I have got a street medic class coming up in the middle of June, June 17th and 18th. Um, there's also going to be a lot of work parties out on the land to get us ready for Trans Mask Camp, which is happening in July and October. The July one's full, but the October one normal will probably open in August, and that fills up quickly. Um, and then there's e-courses available on the website at any time, self-paced, video-based courses on hunting, axe skills, and hoping within the next month or so to have one up on basic archery form as well. Uh, what about you, Jamie? Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I have two conferences coming up. Um, one is in July and one is in early August. And in each of those conferences, I'm presenting a shortened version of our death priestessing material. Murphy and I have a whole uh, online module 
<laughs> that's seven sessions covering death priestessing. But I'm presenting the short version at Mystic South and also at the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival. Mystic South is in Atlanta and the Folklore Festival is online. And you can check out more about those events on my website. Everything is at jamiewagner.com slash events. And on that events tab, you will get uh, all the appearances and upcoming things that I have. So you can check that out, but highly recommend both those. Excellent. Oh, and I didn't tell people where to find details on my stuff. It's all at mountainsongexpeditions.com. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, I think that's about it for today. Uh, next time, we're going to be talking about how to purify and consecrate your divination tools. So that will be a fun discussion. And so we hope you keep uh, listening. We hope that you like and subscribe and that you will please tell your friends about us. And um, bright blessings. Welcome to warm weather. Welcome to summertime. <laughs> Blessed to be. Thanks for joining us. You can learn more about Way of the Weaver programs at www.wayoftheweaver.com. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. It also helps if you write us a review. Subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a new episode. They'll be coming out on or around the 13th of every month. Our theme music is by Fern Maddie, and you can find more from her at fernmaddiemusic.com. Remember that magic is real, present all around us, and a profound tool for justice and transformation. Use it well. <laughs>